This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Frank Morano. Well, there are two stories, which I think one one I'm not sure about, but the other one I am. But there's two stories which I think may inure to the benefit of those of us that like things like I don't know civil liberties, constitutional protections about an oppressive government, and the things that everybody except me seems to take for granted these days. Everyone except me and Judge Andrew Napolitano. We're pretty concerned about. Things like uh, protecting Fourth Fourth Amendment rights and really all the Bill of Rights. Fewer and fewer people seem to be. Do you have a ring camera? I have one. It was my wife's idea. But I have long been concerned that on our block, you go house after house. And with the exception of one, my neighbor Adam, who is very reluctant to have people have cameras and things like that. And I don't think he's wrong. All of us have these ring cameras. And they're really convenient. You can see who's in front of your house. I just saw right now, there's one in front of my garage. I just saw a cat walked by. Stray cat probably going for the warmed up food that we keep in the bowl there. Okay. You can see if somebody's dropping off a package or if there's somebody protesting outside your house, right? And... They're also a source of potential constant surveillance. And as of late, they've become increasingly useful to police officers and police departments. Because think about it. We're creating this network of cameras that the police can tap into. All they have to do is get your permission. So, and this is a company, Ring, is owned by Amazon. And some huge blockbuster news on this front yesterday. And I have to thank my friend, Charlie Grinsky, who is my friend who I've known for many years, who used to call me all the time. He very rarely calls in these days. But Charlie Grinsky sent me this story because he knows it's up my alley. I had not seen this until then. Ring is going to stop allowing police departments to request doorbell camera footage from users, making an end to a marking an end to a feature that has drawn criticism from privacy advocates like me. What does that mean? That means if Tony has a ring, if Tony lives across the street from me and Tony's got a ring camera on his front porch and I'm doing something that they think is illegal at my house Let's say after a football game, I'm wheeling out a couple of my uh, drunken buddies out into the backyard to freeze to death. The police can go to Tony. Hey, Mr. Tony. We think your neighbor might be up to something. Your ring camera may extend to his house. You mind if we take a look at your ring camera footage? No warrant. No warrant. 
Tony doesn't want any problems with the police. Certainly doesn't want a criminal as a neighbor. What does he say? Sure, take a look. Nobody goes through a warrant. There's no probable cause hearing. There's no judge that signs a warrant. The police just take it and they see. Oh, boy. Frank, he didn't drag his drunken buddies out to freeze to death, but he was carrying an open alcohol container on the sidewalk, which also happens to be illegal. Well, we got this evidence of him doing it. Let's go give him a citation. They wouldn't have that, but for Tony giving that information over to them. And, you know, I'll tell you, this is a true story. My neighbor, the one neighbor on our block that does not, I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble to somebody for this, but the one neighbor on our block that doesn't have a ring camera, he's a cop. And he says to me, the reason that I don't have a camera is because they can track you. And my wife was setting up a ring camera, mostly to keep an eye on cats and car mines, in, our, on our, in front of our garage. And my neighbor across the street shouts to her, and I wasn't present for this. This all took place while I was asleep. Shouts to her, hey, that camera better not be looking pointed at my house. And Rachel says, yeah, no, 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 it's not. Don't worry. I'm serious. I don't want that camera pointed at my house. That's how, I don't want to use the term paranoid, but concerned he was that the camera might be pointed at his house because he knows as a cop, all they have to do is ask. And we'll, if we give them this footage, he could get caught doing something. So in a blog post yesterday, Ring said that it will sunset the request for assistance tool, which allows police departments and other public safety agencies to request and receive video captured by the doorbell cameras through Ring's Neighbors app. The company did not provide a reason for the change, which will be effective starting this week. Eric Kuhn, the head of Neighbors, said in the announcement that law enforcement agencies will still be able to make public posts in the Neighbors app. Police and other agencies can also still use the app to share helpful safety tips, updates, and community events. So if you have Ring, you're, you get you have this app that tells you what's going on. And I get them. It says lost dog, a gas line leak, whatever. And they could still say, hey, there's a, a roving, there's a rapist on the loose in this zip code. Be careful. So this update is the latest restriction Ring has made to police activity on the Neighbors app following concerns raised by privacy watchdogs and people like me who just like privacy about the company's relationship with police departments across the country. Critics have stressed the proliferation of these relationships and users' ability to report what they see as suspicious behavior and how this can change neighborhoods into a place of constant surveillance and lead to more instances of, among other things, racial profiling. So Ring changed its policy three years ago to make police requests publicly visible through the Neighbors app. Previously, law enforcement agencies were able to send Ring owners who lived near an area of an invest area, an active investigation, private emails requesting video footage and just get it from them. Now, Ring hopefully will altogether be out of the business of warrantless police requests for footage to its users. I think this is a positive. Now, I want to be clear. Let's say I am 
dragging my drunken neighbors out into my yard to die of hypothermia. Law enforcement agencies can still access videos using a search warrant. They just have to follow the same protocol with these ring cameras that they would any other type of camera or any other type of evidence. And I think that's great. If they have enough evidence to get a search warrant, they should go out and get one. Ring also maintains the right to share footage without user consent in limited circumstances. See, that's what I wonder. What are the limited circumstances? I don't want you sharing my footage without my consent. Tell me what these limited circumstances are. All right. Now, in mid-2022, Ring disclosed it had handed over 11 videos to police without notifying users that year due to exigent or emergency circumstances. One of the categories um, that allow it to share videos without permission from owners. So I'm skeptical about the ability of police and the company to determine what is or is not an emergency. Last summer, Ring agreed to pay $5.8 million to settle with the Federal Trade Commission over allegations that the company let employees and contractors access user videos. They wouldn't be doing that if they didn't do it. And the agency, the uh, FTC, said that Ring had inadequate security practices. And, you know, one of the things that we've chronicled on this show, and not just on this show, it's on every show, is hacking. People are hacking. If these videos are in some place, some sort of central place or across some mainframe or across something, hackers can tap into this and get access to this video footage. And it allows hackers to control consumer accounts and cameras. Now, the company disagrees with that. They say that's not the case. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. We've seen instances of people tap hackers tapping into these ring cameras. All right, 800-848-9222. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think this is great. 800-848-9222. Here is Marionette, Illinois, Police Commander Joe Garrett talking about what this means for his department. It's a great tool because it helps us start investigating crimes and issues right away. It's a fight for privacy. It's, it's part of our culture. I get it, right? There's always give and take. You know, we'll learn to adjust to it. If yeah. we have to get search warrants from now on, uh, we'll have to learn to be a little bit quicker about it. And that's great. That's what police departments should be doing. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is exactly what good police work is all about. It's not about getting neighbors to violate the Fourth Amendment so that they can spy on other neighbors. Sorry, not. Um, we're on Facebook as well. Uh, you could just uh, go to facebook.com slash Fan, or if you want to join our uh, Facebook group, you can go on there and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters and participate in the discussion about this show. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. John is in New Jersey. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hey, Frank. Um, so it, I was looking at the ring cameras, and um, they were kind of expensive. But I ended up finding uh, this camera. It's called the Wise, W-Y-Z-E. Mm-hmm. And um, it's $35 for a camera. It has night vision. It's got, you can talk. You can um, listen to sounds. It's like a full-on camera that you could go on your phone with, too. And all you need is an Internet connection. 
Well, what do we know I about know. That, that company's surveillance practices? I looked it up, and it said that um, cops made like uh, request things, but they have to go through proper legal channels. They can't just take it. Well, what does that mean, proper legal channels? Do they have to get a warrant? Yeah, like search warrants or subpoenas. Okay, well, that's that's a positive. I think that's a good thing. So it sounds like you'd recommend Wise over uh, the kind of uh, over these ring cameras. Yeah, it's it's literally it's a lot cheaper. It's only thirty five bucks, and honestly, it's a really easy app to use, and it records everything. It can see in the dark. It alerts you. Like all right, good, good to know, John. Thank you. We will uh, send them. No problem. We'll send them a bill for this commercial. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Robert in Suffolk. What do you think? Hi, uh, I believe it's a step in the right direction. However, I mean, there's a big difference between the DOJ and local police. Really, I mean, you have to say there is, right? Well, I mean, there is, but they both are supposed to get warrants in order to access stuff like this. Well, maybe not in the case of the feds. Well, no. I mean, this is the exact policy that they've changed. It used to be if a user were to consent to the FBI, the DOJ, the DEA, whomever, having their footage, they could have it. But now they're actually going to have to get a warrant. Well, the federal government, they make request letters, they're called. And usually the, the companies hand over well, whatever right. we, they we, ask we've for. We've covered that with the phone companies, which is why this is such a monumental decision. To have a company uh, that's owned by Amazon actually uh, side with John Q. Public instead of, the, instead of the law enforcement apparatus, I think that's a great thing. 800-848-9222. You know, speaking of the feds, I, I was simultaneously outraged and ebullient the other day when I read this story. What is the recurring theme that we've covered on this show? It's, especially when it comes to terrorism plots, but not just terrorism plots, because we saw it with Gretchen Whitmer in the so-called kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, but we've also seen it with mafia cases. The feds don't bust up crimes. They, too often, instead of solving crimes, they concoct the crimes and then try to get conspirators to go along with the plot and then arrest them. Well, fascinating story. A man convicted in 2010 of plotting to blow up New York City synagogues and a Jewish community center and shoot down military planes was ordered to be released from prison by a judge who said the defendant was part of a group manipulated by the FBI. God bless this judge, Colleen McMahon. I believe she's in the Southern District of New York, but this is a brilliant decision, and this should hopefully send a chilling effect to the FBI and the DOJ in terms of how they have been setting up people with non-existent crimes just to arrest them. Four men who became known as the Newberg Four, were caught up in a scheme in 2009 to attack the synagogues and community center. Now you think, oh boy, that's bad. We don't want people attacking synagogues or community centers. And not just that. They were going to launch stinger missiles at military aircraft driven by what the judge described. There was no plot. 
This was driven by what the judge describes as overzealous FBI agents and an unsavory confidential informant. Once again, just like Michigan, just like that uh, other situation we told you about with a young man who was arrested as soon as he turned 18, the FBI and their informants created the crime. And then they got other people, go along with it, go along with it. Is it any wonder that people think this is part of what happened on January 6th? So the judge, Colleen McMahon, already ordered the three other men in the group, Anta Williams, David Williams, and Laguerre Payen, to be released last July. And now this fourth, this fourth man, James Cromedy, described as the ringleader by the government, was ordered released by the judge on Friday. The judge called the case notorious and described the men as hapless, petty criminals who were easily manipulated by the government in a sting operation. Cromedy's lawyer was quoted in the New York Times as saying the judge's order was at least some kind of vindication for what we believe was a tragic miscarriage of justice. The four men were convicted of terrorism charges in 2010 and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Friday's order by the judge asked for Cromedy's sentence to be cut to time served plus 90 days. It did not reverse the conviction. But Judge McMahon said that Cromedy was a small time grifter who was broke and unemployed when he was enlisted in this FBI-driven plot and provided fake bombs, FBI gave him the fake bombs, I want to be clear, to plant in exchange for $250,000 in the quote-unquote jihadist mission. Cromedy enlisted the other three men to serve as lookouts. So the three men were recruited so that Cromedy could conspire with someone. It's not my words, that's what the judge said. The real lead conspirator, again, these are the judge's words, not mine. The real lead conspirator was the United States. The FBI invented the conspiracy, identified the targets, and manufactured the ordinance. Cromedy was recruited by a longtime FBI informant by the name of Shahad Hussein, whom the judge called a villain. That's who's on our side. That's who's on the side of Team America, the villain. The judge wrote that Hussein's role was to infiltrate mosques and spot people who could be potential extremists. Working for us, Hussein offered heavenly and earthly rewards, including as much as a quarter of a million dollars to Cromedy, if he would plan and participate in and find others to participate in a jihadist mission. There were no missiles. There were no bombs. There was no plot to attack synagogues or military aircraft except for the plot that was created by the FBI. How many times do we need to see the same story until we demand that the FBI change its tactics? So I think both of these things, the release of the Newberg Four and this change in policy by Ring, are very positive if you are concerned about civil liberties and things like maintaining the Fourth Amendment. 800-848-9222. Tommy is in New Jersey. Hi, Tommy. Hello. Uh, so I was just wondering... If you have a ring camera, you put it on your door, and it's facing out towards the street. So if you don't want to, your, your neighbors don't want to be bothered being filmed, why don't you just get the camera and aim it towards the house, like on the lawn, on a pole, 
and have it just to, at your own house. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess everyone has a different setup, but at our house, it's kind of it's kind of tough because if you want to see who's ringing your doorbell, it has to kind of point outward, right? I mean, it has to point outward oh. in the direction of the person that's ringing your doorbell. Oh, I see what you're saying. You, you mean if, like, so if it's aiming towards the house, you're just going to see the back of their head. Right. Well, there would be nowhere to put it, right? So how, where would you put the, the camera if it's, if it's aimed towards your house? You know, the, you put it uh, the, on a pole. You, well, you, you but so you would pole. set up a pole on your front porch? Yeah, or like, let's say if you have a porch that has columns on it, you put it on the column and you have it aimed towards the door. I guess that's possible, but then people, mean, you, you, people would have to press that to ring the bell. See, uh, um, the way it works is once you press the bell, um, then you, that activates the camera. It's activated. No, no, I understand. I have I have ring cameras all around my house. I understand that you know, but just re you know reinvent it. I guess. Well, hey, I, Tommy, this could be a uh, very successful, very lucrative million dollar idea. I don't know how much experience you have in this kind of thing, but I say go for it. Go for it. I think there's definitely a market. I think my neighbor uh, across the street would be open to getting one like the. The Tommy Camp. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Westwood. Hi, Paul. What's going on there, Frank? Frank, I got Bing cameras on my house, and we have an option of putting our neighbors on with other other places and the police department or not. We have an option with that. And another thing I wanted to ask you, if you have a Bing camera, how many times do you look at the clips? On your your camera, do you watch every cap, every photo going people going in and out of your house? Not really, not really. You know, because most of the day I, I try. Do. I you do crazy. What? Yeah. Oh, you do. I no, do. I think a lot of people do. You know, most of the time during the day, I try not to pick up my phone. Right. I try to keep my phone as far away from me as possible because. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't like it's buzzing all day long. I'd be looking at it every day if I picked it up every time it, it buzzed. Yeah, well, but you're, you're I, a lot different. Than me. I don't, I'm a smoke. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I get it, Paul. But um, a lot. It, it's uh, I know my wife. I think probably looks at everything when she's awake. I think so. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished him well. You could see that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And now the young monsieur and madame have rung the chapel bell. C'est la vie, c'est the old folks. It goes to show you never can tell. Finished off an apartment with a two-room robot sale. The cooler radar was crammed with TV dinners and ginger ale. Ah, the great cha- 
Chuck Berry singing It Goes to Show, You Never Can Tell. Obviously, this has always been a great song, but I don't know that there are many better scenes in cinema than this scene in Pulp Fiction. And, you know, speaking of Pulp Fiction, I was doing my own reenactment of uh, Pulp Fiction at the beginning of the show today. And this happened to me yesterday afternoon, uh, but I forgot to take the appropriate steps. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, do you remember, and this is not giving anything away, when Mia, who's played by the beautiful Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction, and again, this is a film that's 30 years old, so I'm not really giving anything away here, and this is not integral to the plot. She dips a finger into a powder that she thinks is cocaine, only to find it's not, and she sniffs it, and the unexpected occurs. Her nose starts to bleed profusely. Well, uh, right before the show, literally right as the show was starting, my nose was gushing blood. And, uh, you know, somebody said, I think it was Mike in New Rochelle, that I sounded like I had uh, tissues stuck up my nose, which I did. So I, um, you know, I, I, I get nosebleeds a lot. And this is when I get them, when the time of the year changes. And especially now going into winter. When you're indoors all day long and everything is super dry, you know, I said to my wife, we got to find the humidifier we have and set up the humidifier because both at home and at work, not only am I surrounded by all these sick people, I'm surrounded by all this dry air. Now, if you're like me and you're prone to nosebleeds, you and I've been blowing my nose a lot lately. I mean, really, always. I always blow my nose a lot. But I, you, when you're prone to nosebleeds, this kind of dry air is an absolute killer. And then once you get the nosebleed, that nose is sensitive, really, for the next 24 to 36 hours. And then just you touch it the wrong way. You blow your nose the wrong way. You're not even supposed to blow your nose at all, but you tried to do that. Blow your nose the wrong way. And um, then forget about it. You're you're done. It just starts gushing blood again. That happened to me once when I was um, trying to break the Guinness World Record for longest live TV talk show marathon. It was I was trying to host a 33 hour show, and around hour six or hour seven, my nose starts uncontrollably gushing blood. And now, fortunately, I was interviewing the best possible person that you could interview at that time. And this is going back 19 years. I was interviewing the amazing Kreskin. And Kreskin, all you have to do is say one word to. All you have to do is say hello, and he can just carry on for 20 minutes. And that's pretty much what he did. He saw that my nose was gushing blood, and he didn't need any further prompting from me. He just did his thing. So if you're like me, and this is there's a point to this. If you're like me and you get nosebleeds a lot, especially when the air is all dried out this time of year, there's a couple of things you could do. You could go to the doctor and get your nose cauterized. That is that's pretty heavy duty. I don't necessarily recommend that. And I mean, look, talk to your doctor. If it's that much of a problem, then maybe that's the way to go. But what I do, and I forget who taught me this, might have been my... Uh, my cousin-in-law, Eric, years ago, because he used to get nosebleeds. Might have been him. I'm not sure. I think it was Eric. So a uh, big shout-out to Eric Rogers if that was him. If it's not, you know, if, then he deserves a shout-out anyway because he's a great guy. Um, 
what you can do is take a cotton swab. I'm not joking here. This is going to sound a little gross. But take a cotton swab after the nosebleed stops, I'm talking about, and dip the cotton swab in white vinegar. Dip the cotton swab in white vinegar and stick that cotton swab up your nose and into your nasal passages and all around there. And what that does, and again, I I know it's a little gross to stick a vinegary cotton swab up your nose, but what that does as I, and again, I've done this for years now and it works, is it performs a mild cauterization on your nose so that you don't get these gushers springing up all the time. If you still are getting them in the same nostril that you do the white vinegar situation, then you may have, um, you know, a broader problem and, you know, maybe talk to your doctor about it. But I looked around at the uh, top of the hour for some white vinegar and a cotton swab to see if we could do that, and I couldn't find it. So I'm going to do it when we when we go home, and uh, hopefully I'm able to get the blood out of this sweater because I do have several droplets of blood on it now because it was just coming fast and, and furious. The other thing that you can do, I recommend this strongly, and I learned this maybe even from my first-grade teacher, Miss Coyle, or my second-grade teacher, Mrs. Gass. That, yes, that was her name, is you... Take a paper towel or a napkin or even a tissue and you crumple it up a little bit and you stick it underneath your front lip, underneath your front lip, you know, in your gum right there, right? Like above your teeth on your front lip, almost like, um, you know, going back to the cocaine analogy, what I've seen people do when they're trying cocaine and they put it in their mouth, they kind of put it on their gums. That's where you put it because there's something about applying pressure to that vein that reduces or slows down the flow of blood to your nose. And I found it to be pretty effective. So there's that. And then obviously you know what to do for the rest of it if you're in the moment is um, you have to hold your nose. Very popular misconception. A lot of people tell you to tilt your head back. Never do that. Never do that, especially if you have a nose that's bleeding badly. You know why? Because all that does, and those of you that get nosebleeds know this, but the people that love to give this advice, and this is why I love the advice people give, they don't get nosebleeds. You can tell. Um, They just see, oh, tilt your head back, and then the nose, the blood won't be going out of your nose anymore. Well, that's true, but you know where it's going. It's going down your throat, and you're swallowing all that blood. It's the most disgusting thing in the world. You taste the blood as your head is leaned back while you're while you're bleeding. So never tilt your head back. I don't care if you're in a room where 20 people are all telling you, tilt your head back. Don't do it unless you really like the taste of blood or you're, you know, auditioning to be uh, Dracula's understudy and you want to drink as much blood as possible. It's disgusting. You'll find yourself coughing up blood because you're drinking so much of it. So you, what you do is you pinch your nose tightly, tightly, and you if you can. I mean, it's tough when you're hosting a radio show uh, or a television program. And you hold it tightly with a lot of pressure for a good four or five minutes straight until it clots. Then, once it's clotted, and I know this sounds gross, you have to blow your nose and blow the clot out. Foolproof method for stopping the nosebleed as it's happening. 
And then once it stops, that's when you do your white vinegar method. This is why you tune into this show. This is the kind of information that you cannot get on any other radio show. Our goal with this program is not only to be entertaining and to solve mysteries and allow you an opportunity to sound off and have interesting guests. It is to be the most user-friendly and informative radio show on the planet. And now you don't have to worry about nosebleeds. You're welcome. 800-848-9222. Roger is in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Hi, Roger. Yeah, hi, thanks. This was a problem with me a long time ago, a lot. And uh, I was on a construction site, and this is what you do. And I do it all the time. I do it ever since. Is uh, When it becomes this time of year, I get a Q-tip, and I either use Vaseline or the, or the Vaseline um, uh, hand uh, lotion. And, and, I, and I go up inside the nostrils, each one, and coat them good and rub them good and coat them good with, uh, with, with a lotion or Vaseline petroleum jelly. And so that the skin doesn't crack in the first place when it's dry. See, and uh, and your, your nostrils feel a whole lot better afterwards. Um, and I guess I do. It's preventive maintenance. And I haven't had. I don't have see, that that's a good. Anymore. That's good advice. I, I didn't think to do that, but that makes sense. It moisturizes your nasal passages, so you're not getting dried out in the first place. Right. That's that's very good advice, Roger. I'm glad you mentioned that. Exactly. Hopefully, uh, people will will take that to heart as well. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Hey, here's some good news. You know, we get all these bad news stories about people being locked up for decades for crimes that the FBI tried to get them to commit. We hear all these stories about companies sharing information, your information with police departments or the federal government without um, without warrants. This is a story which I think can only be characterized as good news. An 11-year-old boy with congenital hearing loss is able to hear for the first time Let that sink in. An 11-year-old boy with congenital hearing loss is able to hear for the first time thanks to an experimental gene therapy treatment. This is according to initial results released yesterday. Isom Dom was born with hearing loss caused by a mutated single gene known as otoferlin, otoferlin, which affects around 200,000 people around the world. Odoferlin, excuse me, Odoferlin is a protein in the inner ear's hair cells that allows for sound to be transmitted to the brain. Uh, Dam became the first patient in this country to undergo a surgical procedure at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in October in which doctors replaced the mutated Odoferlin gene in Dam's ears with a functional gene. The gene therapy trial showed Dam's hearing was restored within 30 days of the procedure, reducing his hearing loss severity from total to mild. This is absolutely incredible. This is a miracle. The trial from Philadelphia is one of five that are underway with others in China and Europe and results from all five trials are set to be presented next month. I think this is just wonderful news. This is the best news, I think, since we learned that uh, 
John Stewart was coming back to host The Daily Show once a week. I'll tell you who they should get on Tuesdays. And I'm, the people at Comedy Central and The Daily Show are welcome to this idea. No pride of authorship here. I am absolutely sincere with this, though. And this takes this from an okay idea, which might work, might not work, to this makes this a million-dollar idea that will have everybody talking about The Daily Show for some time. The Tuesday host of The Daily Show should be Craig Kilborn. Craig Kilborn, who was the first host of The Daily Show. How cool is that? Man, imagine if Jimmy Fallon decides to leave The Tonight Show and they could bring back Jay Leno as the Monday host and Conan O'Brien as the Tuesday host. Now, that would be cool. That's cool. As they figure out what they're doing with the rest of the week. That's my suggestion for the... Comedy Central folks. I'm going to be tweeting that uh, at around uh, 9 a.m. Eastern this morning. So if you want to retweet that, be my guest. You could find me on the platform that I still refer to as Twitter at uh, Frank Moreno, 800, uh, Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. All right. Uh, Our friend Joe in Ronkonkoma is on the line. Hey there, Joe. What's going on? Hey, Frank. I'm going to touch on two of the subjects. One, my son gets chronic nosebleed and his ear nose and throat doctor gave him a tip and it works whenever you get into these dry seasons before he goes to bed and when he wakes up he uses saline nose spray and it lubricates his nasal passages and it's curtailed his nosebleeds tremendously and he's sick less because he's sterilizing Mm. up in his nasal passages and it's it's been a uh, like uh, he was getting them so bad, we would get nervous. We, you know, like they they tried the cauterization and it didn't work. And this seems to work. Really? So, okay. And, well, I'm going to order some yeah. now because I don't think I actually have some in my house. That's a good idea. Well, he like I said, he starts using it like right around Halloween and up until maybe March. Right. Because, well, this is know, the time it gets it, bad. It, this is when it gets bad. Absolutely. Now about the ring cameras you were talking about, I disagree with you about it. I think the cops should have access to them without a warrant because we had a rash in our neighborhood of catalytic converters being stolen. And due to the fact that mine and my neighbors ring cameras, they were able to apprehend uh, these guys within 24 hours. If they had to go for a warrant and go through the whole process, then it would take longer. And these guys, they don't operate like normal thieves. They're in the area for one night and then they move on to another area. And they were able to catch these guys. And now, you know, unless you have a private surveillance system that you're paying for, but these ring cameras are like a ring community they belong to, and the cops, I I think it's really... It helps the police, and well, it does. You don't want it does. That's why. That's why they. uh, That's why they enjoyed having them out there. But go ahead, finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, no. Like I said, uh, a great show, like always, Frank. But I just disagree because you know what? Uh, Like my one neighbor, he's in his late seventies, and they sold a catalytic converter out of his car. Fourteen hundred dollars. These people Mm. are barely making it. Uh, You know, I I get it, Joe. I, I get it. Look, you you've made the case perfectly for why police departments should be able to do this. Because if you go with uh, what I would like to do and what Ring is now doing, it does take longer. It, it's absolutely true. And um, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Thank you, Joe. And I, and I hope they caught those folks. And this catalytic converter theft problem is a huge problem. You know, I serve on my local community board. And, you know, when the 
uh, police community affairs officer comes and briefs us next, you know, my question for them is going to be, why are there not checkpoints? Because these checkpoints, because they're, I mean, I don't want to get into too much of a local thing, but the they do take them and then go over a bridge. And I think if there was a checkpoint there, that would dissuade some of them. The Fourth Amendment, to be, which gives people the right to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures, shall not be violated. It has its drawbacks. It does make things a little bit more difficult for law enforcement. But you know what? Almost everything in the Bill of Rights makes things more difficult for law enforcement. Because the people that came up with the Bill of Rights, these were the people that were living under the thumb of an oppressive and autocratic government. And they wanted to make sure that individuals had as much of an advantage as possible over law enforcement and government. And police, as great as your local neighborhood police officer might be, he is an agent of the government. So I recognize that it does make police work more difficult. But as you heard from uh, Police Commander Joe Garrett. It's a great tool because it helps us start investigating crimes and issues right away. It's a fight for privacy. It's, it's part of our culture. I get it, right? There's always give and take. You know, we'll learn to adjust to it. If we have to get search warrants from now on, well, we'll have to learn to be a little bit quicker about it. You have to learn to be a little bit quicker about it. That's what they're going to have to do. That's what they would have had to do in uh, Joe's case. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay. Unfortunately, just passed away. Uh, this is the only um, the only song that I'm aware of with uh, that Melanie ever sang. I, I don't know if she's considered a one-hit wonder or if she had other songs that were popular. I, this is the only one that springs to mind for me. But it really was uh, just a tremendous part of the uh, the 70s and really up for the last 50 years. It was great. Hey, speaking uh, w- by the way, we're uh, very fortunate to be heard on uh, Talk Radio 1400 WOND in Atlantic City and South Jersey, Cape May County, all over there. But speaking of the 70s and speaking of gambling, I re-watched recently when I've been on my biking marathons, 
I rewatched in four parts the James Conn film, The Gambler. I have seen it, and I saw the remake that came out about 12 years ago in theaters, which was okay. The original from 1974 is so much better. Now, I've seen it, but probably not in at least 20 years. And um, I don't know that I was, you know, routinely gambling as much as I have been over the last 20 years at the time that I saw it. What a picture. This is the first time I saw this picture since James Caan passed away. And also the first time I saw this picture since Burt Young passed away. Plays a character named Carmine, by the way. And the first time that I saw this picture since James Woods passed away. Not James Woods, God forbid. Uh, Paul Servino passed away. And these three actors, James Caan, Burt Young, and Paul Servino, they are so great. And it made me even sadder that they're gone. And I'll tell you, if you, I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it. I mean, the movie's 50 years old. But I'll tell you what I really appreciate about this picture. And those of you that go to Atlantic City or go to Vegas or gamble anywhere will, I think, appreciate this. Gambling can make is a very desperate thing at times. There have been times, and this is probably when you shouldn't be betting, when I'm placing a bet at the Baccarat table or wherever, and I'm so nervous that unconsciously my hands are shaking, right? This film is probably the most realistic film I've ever seen depicting gambling and a gambler's mentality and the desperation that comes with gambling, but at no point does it glamorize gambling. You see a lot of great gambling pictures, including gambling films that I love, like, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot, but there's usually a, um, a lot of glamour and glory to being in gambling. You have your ups, you have your downs, and then there's this heroic, incredible story of beating the odds to win all your money back. The reality is problem gambling is much more desperate than that. And usually when you're, this is before legalized sports betting was everywhere, James Kahn's character, Axel Freed, had to rely on a bookie. And seeing and hearing the desperation in his voice as he's begging these bookies to take his bets. Jimmy, how are you, sweetheart? I'm back in action. You're happy. How do you think I feel? Listen, uh, I want three games for tomorrow, 15 dimes a pop. $45,000, right. Well, it's only insane if I lose, and I'm not going to lose. Let me cash up front. Listen, you're the one that's been slow on the draw with me. I've never held you up a day. Well, what difference does that make? So what? I haven't played with you in 90 days. That means you have to treat me like a stranger? Too big for what? Lay it off. You've got time. Hey, forget it. If they won't let you, they won't let you, will they? And that, more than anything, is a realistic depiction of gambling. He's just desperate to place this this $45,000 bet, which in 1974 was a lot. So if you've not seen this picture, I do recommend it. I mean, there's this one scene, I don't want to give anything away, but there's this one scene where he's got enough money to make himself square with the house, to get him out of trouble with people he's in trouble with. And what does he do? He does what any gambling addict does when he's got that kind of cash on him. He gambles. He gambles. You know, Peter Gotti who is the brother of John Gotti Jr., the son of of John Gotti. 
Not the brother who became – he's not – whatever. I'm not – you don't need me to explain. Never been involved in organized crime. But his brother, who was very much involved in organized crime, once sent him to pick up $10,000 cash from him uh, – for him. John Gotti Jr. was in prison at the time, asked Pete to pick up $10,000 cash. And Pete stole it from his own brother, gambled it all, lost it all. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that he was never trusted with money ever again after that. Because when you're a problem gambler, you're a problem gambler. In this picture, the gambler really does capture that better than uh, anything I've seen. So, you know what they say? What's the old saying? Bet with your head, not over it. All right. I got to mention this. We've covered Bigfoot from time to time. It turns out new research suggests that reported Bigfoot sightings correlate with the population of black bears in the area. The more black bears an area is home to, the more likely people are to believe they saw the allegedly mythical creature. This study published in the Journal of Zoology found that for every 5,000 black bears, there's an average of one Bigfoot sighting. In other words, where there's more black bears, more people think they see Bigfoot. There's one exception to this. Florida. Florida is an outlier. That state has a low black bear population of about 4,000 and a large human population, but it's number three in the nation with Bigfoot sightings. Those of you that have been wondering where Bigfoot is, he's in Florida. Those of you that are listening to us in Florida, take a photo. Send it our way. Till next hour, your influence counts. Use it.